Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats Man. My dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I am back from Alabama and it is such an incredible state. I had such a great time, especially because of the reason that I went there, which is to see my son graduate from WACS, which stands for Warrant Officer Candidate School. So he is now a Warrant Officer and I had the honor to pin him during the ceremony. It was such a moving ceremony. I feel so privileged to have been a part of that. And I'm especially thrilled that I got to see my son Cameron. So, you know, I talked last week about how beautiful Oklahoma was. And I have to say, Alabama is pretty dang spectacular. Forests and fields for miles. There's rivers and lakes. It's just lush and gorgeous. And it's so funny because I've talked about my fondness for insects and bugs. And as I was passing a lot of these fields, I was like, ooh, I bet you there's some really cool bugs in there. And I had to fight this urge to pull over, but I can't wait to go back. It's really lovely. And it is full of so much history incredible. My son and I went to Montgomery. So we got to see the home where Martin Luther King Jr. lived and walked through that neighborhood, the church where he was the pastor, the Alabama Capitol building, and then there was Hank Williams, Hank Williams Sr. There is a amazing statue to him there in Montgomery, and also the museum. And we found out that had Hank Williams still been alive today, he would be 100 years old this coming Sunday. He was born September 17, 1923. He would have been 100 years old this year. And coming from Los Angeles, like that is a big deal, right? Like you're going to do a month long celebration for somebody as big in country music as Hank Williams is maybe even like stretch it out into full year events just sprinkle it with events and of course do something really big on that week or that month right but here I go walking into the museum like party month let's keep it going what do you guys got going and it just shows this huge cultural juxtaposition where they're like oh come back next week because on Friday and Saturday and Sunday which is his birthday we're going to be doing something special and it was so cool quaint and cute and and a little bit of a bummer because I really wanted to do something big. 
But I mean, it was big, right? Because how often do I get to visit these places? And the museum is pretty comprehensive. That death car was definitely in there. I talked about it last week, so I'm not going to do that again. But there are rooms upon rooms upon rooms of everything Hank Williams that is really cool to see. So it is worth going to. And then we went over to the memorial and grave site, which is right there at the Oakwood Cemetery. And I used to really be into country music, like in the late 90s and early 2000s, like when Dwight Yoakam and Alan Jackson and Randy Travis and all of those guys were out. So I do have this honky tonk playlist and Alan Jackson's Midnight in Montgomery is on it, which is a masterpiece of a song that's completely sprinkled throughout with clues about who he's singing about. And then at the end, of course, he says, Hank's always singing there. And it's about Hank Williams and going to his memorial. So on the way out there, that's what I was listening to. And the piece de resistance was going to F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald's home. They lived there for a couple of years in Montgomery and wrote some books there. And it was just a nice tour. And here's the cool thing about that. When they left... I don't know how many owners there were in between, but the last person that owned that home subdivided it. I know, sacrilege, right? But subdivided it into four apartments. And it's like in this swanky, I think it's called Candlewood or Oakwood. I will put it in the show notes. So if you ever go to Montgomery, you can go check it out. They restored the bottom floor, but the floor upstairs still has two fully furnished apartments that they rent out as B&Bs. It's right around the corner from Alabama State University. We really just packed our day full with everything I just told you about. We did in one day. I don't know how I did this, but I almost forgot about the Fitzgerald home. And so I'm like, oh my God, we got to like zip over there. The nice thing is that everything's like five minute drive, maybe seven, you know, but I mean, it's all right there. And so I get on my navigation system. I guess it was like taking me through the university, but there was a game and all of these streets were blocked. And I literally thought that we were going to be late, but it's a great place to go. If you have a kid at ASU, if you have a soldier at Fort Novosel, If you're just going to Alabama to go and check out some of the history and some of the cool stuff, it is a little bit far from Fort Novosel. I think it's like an hour and a half drive to Montgomery. But what a cool place to stay. You could say that you stayed at the Fitzgeralds. Cam's going into the aviation program there at Fort Novosel. So he's going to be there for two more years, which means that I get to plan way more trips. And this trip was so short. I was only there for four days. And a lot of it was driving because I drove in from Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't make it to Valparaiso. I know I mentioned that last week. Um, I missed my flight. It was terrible. It was really terrible because I missed it by like two minutes. They had me waiting at the wrong place and I started racing over to the right gate. The walkway, the walkway was being pulled off away from the plane. And I ran over to the desk to find out when the next flight was and it was six hours later. 
So it's three hours to drive from Atlanta, Georgia. It just didn't make sense for me to stay there for six hours, to fly for an hour, and then to get a rental car to drive for two more hours, and then get up the next morning, race over to the graduation where I was one of the honorees that got to pin their soldier. And I just was not going to do that to myself. So I drove the three hours to Enterprise. This is so hilarious. I was just talking about my fondness of bugs and insects. Guess what their mascot is? It's the bull weevil, which is not something that I love. Bull weevils are an agricultural pest. And apparently in the early 1900s, they showed up by the millions and ate up all the cotton, I'm sure again. And it finally dawned on somebody. I'm not sure who, I didn't do enough research on it, but somebody decided that... Why not diversify our crops and plant peanuts and other stuff that the boll weevil won't eat? And all of a sudden, this made the boll weevil a hero. And so they called the boll weevil the Herald of Prosperity. And there's actually a memorial to the boll weevil in downtown Enterprise, right in the middle of an intersection. This is like the cutest little town. There's all of these cute boutiques and everything right there. And it's this like Grecian statue of this beautiful woman. And she's raising a boll weevil above her head. It's hilarious. And then the other thing that they do, like they've seriously embraced the bull weevil, is they have these statues that they make. They're like maybe four feet high or something like that. Maybe they're five feet. I don't know. Um, anyway, they're pretty big. And you can purchase one if you live there in Enterprise and decorate it and paint it and put it out in front of your business and people show up to take pictures with them. And it's a crack up because everything is about the bull weevil in Enterprise. So there's this big highway that is just a big giant circle. It's called Bull Weevil Circle Highway. And there are 29 bull weevils off of this highway of varying distances from different points of the highway. I found one of them, which was the farmer's market bull weevil. And I actually had gone on a little bit of a hunt for them, which I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but like I had a couple of hours in between seeing Cameron one day and the activities that I was going to do. So I thought, well, let me go find some of these bull weevils. And I did find the farmer's market one, but apparently the police station, the fire station has one. There's a Ronald McWeevil. So there's 29 of them. So that was kind of cool. But enough about my time in Alabama, because I could sit here and talk all day long. I am really excited. I'm going to get right into this In the Company of Friends talk with my dear friend, Michelle Buchanan Hernandez, whom I've known since We were in junior high school, which is now called middle school, which makes me sound super old when I say junior high school. But we just hit it off when we were kids and we were like besties, you know, like sleepovers, going to each other's homes, walking to and from school. I mean, the whole gamut. We had so much fun and we've kept in touch. And she is... She won't admit this. And she's probably going to be like, why did you say that? But she's like a total expert on limestone. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this beautiful stone that's for flooring, for outdoor, hardscaping, walls, ceilings, you name it. And I'm probably getting some of this wrong. So please listen, because she'll correct me as the episode goes on. 
but they don't just do that. They have fountains, they have fireplaces. I mean, it's so beautiful. And they've even done work in museums and these beautiful mansions. They're all over the place. So we decided to talk about that because it's fun. Um, And the other thing, I do want to be sensitive to people who have pets, who have a pet who may be very sick and about to pass or old um, or who has recently passed because we do talk about the passing of pets at the beginning. It's probably the first five to seven minutes of this episode. So if that's something that is going to be difficult for you to listen to, please feel free to skip past that part. The whole thing is not about pets passing away, but it's really a subject that we don't talk about a lot because it's painful. And so there was something really special about being able to talk about the cycle of a pet's life because they do live for so much of a shorter time period than us, but they bring us so much joy. And there are so many things in life that are like that. And I actually unwittingly just a few minutes ago came across this quote by C.S. Lewis. So I'm going to share it here. Quote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure to keep it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable, end quote. And with that, please grab a cuppa and join Michelle Buchanan Hernandez and I in this week's In the Company of Friends Talk. Enjoy. They have, they have to get used to hearing your voice again. Hi, puppies. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> um, I'm going to put him outside and leave her inside. Okay. I'm sorry. It might be a little bit better. We can hope. Uh, she's in heat right now, so I've got double the issues. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, she had those babies in April, and we have a spay and neuter appointment on Saturday the 3rd. Oh, so you're just trying to get through. <laughs> oh, I, my god! I really didn't plan on a second heat. I've never had a dog go into heat twice in a year. Oh, boy. So how are you keeping them away from each other? So the first week, there's really no interest. As of last night, that changed. <laughs> Oh my God. I was looking at the calendar. You've got over a week, a week and one day. A week and one day. So one of them will be going to the office with me. That's a perk. I am allowed to take them with me. Uh, And then we will bust out the crate and she'll sleep in the crate and we'll block the kitchen and the laundry room off. So he'll have half the house. And we, you know, we waited to do him because he's a giant and you're supposed to wait until they're 18 to 24 months. 
And then my mom died and my aunt died and nothing like that was getting done last year. So sorry. So thank you. So we're a little tardy, but we also never had any intention of getting the female. And she and her brother were found on a bridge in Long Beach. And somebody else alerted me and my husband was like, Well, you know, we should go and see these two strays, siblings bouncing off of each other. They're very good. They're very loving. What breed are they? Great Pyrenees. Oh, yeah. They're big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Robert was like, let's bring her home. And I'm like thinking she comes home for the weekend. She's not leaving because that's just not how that happens. And I said, you know, I don't have to do this. Like, he's fine. He goes with us. He travels with us. He stays in a hotel with us. He goes to work with me. We have this nice little thing going on. Yes, we've always had two dogs, but I'm like, I'm okay. And she's like, I think we should just bring her home for the weekend. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. Uh, yeah, I think he did. I think he did. And how cute are they when they're that little too? Uh, the, the babies, that was an experience. You know, I was sitting right next to her when she gave birth to them. And that that was something else. It truly, truly was. I am really glad that we got to experience it. We will not get so lucky as to only have two babies again. And by the time they left here, the one male who left last was about two inches shorter than his mom. Oh, wow. How long did you have him for? I think he was 11 weeks old when he left. So he's a giant. They're giants. My first Great Pyrenees was as big as a Great Dane. He was 32 inches tall. Clyde is probably about 28 inches tall. I say he's small. But if you see him, you're going to go, oh my God, that's big. When he hangs his head out of my truck window, he fills the window up. I can imagine. They got so much hair. and So much hair. And when the puppies were here, she went into a full-blown coat loss and the puppies were pulling their hair and there was just puff balls all over the place. Yeah, we've got two small cats compared to your dogs. They have been shedding a lot. And one of them is a black cat and her hair gets everywhere. Everywhere. I love them. I'm always like, you guys are really lucky that we love you so much and are under some spell that you cast over us because, you know, pets are messy. Pets are work. (laughs) But they bring so much happiness. I can't imagine life without them. You know us. We have always had animals of all kinds. The longest period of time I was without an animal was when we first moved in together. It was June of 1996, the Evander Holyfield fight where Tyson bit off his ear. His ear. Yeah. The very next day we went and we got our set of Australian shepherds. Uh, Lost the male, still had the female. You know, those are those dates you don't ever forget. Right. Um, We very kindly, compassionately put the female down Memorial Day weekend, 2008 and June 8th, June 8th. I had another set of dogs. Came home from work bottle of wine in hand and he looked at me because those were just not things that happened and I said I I can't I can't do this Uh, the house is just entirely too quiet and he looks at me like I had five eyes and he's like you have two teenage girls (laughs) what do you mean the house is too quiet and I'm like I just I need I need my dog I need a dog we ended up with two of them again the male passed away early 
I picked her rescue quite by accident. And that's how we ended up with our Great Pyrenees. Um, Noah was born in 2020. I was gone for five days. I came home. It was April 1st, the day before her 12th birthday, and she passed away. Oh, my gosh. So the highs of the highs, the lows of the lows. The COVID thing started. The baby was born. I couldn't be there. You know, all of those things. And Clyde came home April 19th. You have two camps there. People look at that and go, oh, my God, you're trying to replace them. You're rushing into this. And now, as heartbreaking and, and as hard as it is, it's also a testament to how much they bring to your life. I absolutely love them and don't see living without them, frankly. Um, and they're better than most people sometimes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, they just love their chosen human unconditionally. And I love that. I love watching my two girls together because they might be fighting one minute and then they're snuggling, you know, and it's like, it's all good. And they have this really funny thing that they do at mealtime. I'll split a pouch of wet food between them and I add a little bit of extra liquid because one of them likes it soupy and I'll put both of the bowls down and every once in a while they'll have their own bowl. But a lot of times the one that likes the soupy mix will go and drink all the water and then the other one will come back and eat all of the solids. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys are so weird. So weird. <laughs> so weird. They have their quirks. They are really quirky. Yeah. But it took a lot for me to get these girls because of what you were just talking about. My cat Nebby, which was short for Nebula, passed away in 2007. And that was such a huge heartbreak. I was like, I am never going to go through this again. Cameron was in third grade at the time and he was inconsolable. He loved that cat so much that he missed a day of school. And I sent Sophie because she was like in kindergarten and the way she was behaving, it was like, oh, she's gone. Okay. You know, it was just like, it, it didn't affect her as much. And to this day, she's like, the thing that upset me the most was that Cameron got to stay home. <laughs> These two, they were in a home where they couldn't stay and we went and picked them up. And I'm really glad to have them. But every once in a while, I'll think about that day mm -hmm. is coming. You know, there's a guarantee that that day is going to come. And it's like, oh, man, it's gonna be so hard. It's devastating. Yeah, it is indeed a loss. Because again, of what they bring to your life and the things that you get to experience with them. And no matter, you know, for dogs, what do you get? 10, 12 years? Sometimes I, mm -hmm. my mom had a German shepherd that, you know, was almost 17 years old. She got her right before I was born. So I literally grew up with this dog yeah. and they just don't live as long as we think that they should. And it, it does that to people. You either shut it off. That's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this again. And then lo and behold, they pop up at the right time and it's just supposed to be, or people never do it again. Or you're like me and they, they find us. They just find us. Like say this little female had zero intention of doing this. And she is by far more loving and connected than my male is. And Clyde is my heart dog. I mean, he he was here when my dad died. My mom died. You know, and, and each one kind of has done that. I said that about Wyatt when Wyatt showed up. and We were devastated about losing Captain. There's something about these guys, the Great Pyrenees. They're almost ethereal. They're majestic and beautiful, and people are drawn to them, and they're so soothing. 
but he is so much more independent. Like he's out back and he's fine. That if that was her, she'd be losing her mind trying to get in the house. She wants <laughs> to be baby. where you are, what you're doing. It doesn't matter. She's just always right there with you. And for only being here for eight months, like I say, she's the Velcro baby. He comes in, walks through the room, sees where you are, you know, says hello. And most of the time goes to the other room, you know, then comes back through and checks on you. But he's not, and he has never been a Velcro baby. <laughs> I love that. Talk. Yeah. Oh, she is a Velcro baby. So bad. Um, do you want to get into the architecture? Well, the limestone, because it's what you see, right? Right. It's a finished product. It's not structural. It is finish or decorative, other than, say, your flooring materials. And it's fascinating. It's so beautiful. And it is beautiful. And it's different. People are accustomed to marbles and granites and travertine. Um, the Getty is all clad in travertine. Limestone is kind of that quiet sister in the back. You know, it's steady. We're always steady. And through COVID, we were considered essential for workers because of the construction industry. So we stayed working. And that was actually one of our busier years. I love it. Every day, every day that I go to work is different because I do many, many different things. I started in 1995 as an administrative assistant, just kind of working in the office and was working alongside with my boss, who was the vice president. And in 98, had to step into the fabrication role instead of just sales, which is what she was doing. And slowly but surely grabbed onto all kinds of responsibilities to where they sold the company in 2021. And the common consensus was the buyer who was an installer that we've worked with for 15 years. So that was a marriage made in heaven. Uh, he did 90% of our installations because we don't install. Um, now we do. Now we have a sister company. But um, how do you do this? How do you do this? Who, where do you purchase from? Um, who does the ordering? Ask her, ask her, ask her. Because I had taken everything off of one desk. Uh, short of the corporate taxes. I don't do corporate taxes. I run all the books, but as far as filing, I'm not playing with the IRS. I don't want to do that. But we purchased from Europe, France and Italy, a little bit of Spain, not much. Our primary focus is limestone. We dabble a little bit in marble, but it's a different type of fabrication. Everything is brought into our showroom and our fabrication shop in Torrance. 20 foot containers from the port, so I get to deal with the port as well. Typically, we bring in slabs that are three-quarter inch up to a 12 or 14 inch thick block. So the things that you've seen picture-wise, and by all means, please come to the showroom and visit me. I won't even make you bring me coffee. You can just come. And uh, Bring her coffee. She loves coffee. And I will put links in the show notes on how to get to this showroom. Sure. Thank you. Um, and so we fabricate right there. We have a five axis CNC machine. Proud to say that in 2006, we were one of the first companies to incorporate that in. And what is that? A CNC machine. It's a computer numerical. Uh, and I don't remember what the C is. The second C is. But it is a machine that is typically used for metal pieces. Boeing uses CNC machines. The aerospace industry uses a lot of them. So we purchased this 
we what we were doing was running a, a big slab saw and then running our profiles down to cut and shape the slabs, you know, the curves and, you know, taking a block and creating a round column that was all saw work and that's flipping and turning. And with the CNC machine, you have the five axis head that is able to maneuver all of that. So it's not a saw going back and forth, back and forth. This is the head and the tooling creating this. No one else had one back then. And there are only a few other fabricators who do what we do. There are countertop fabricators all over the South Bay and Los Angeles. There are not a lot that do fireplaces and fountains and columns, um, the three-dimensional architectural work. If they sell it, a lot of it is done overseas and brought in finished. What we do is work directly with the architects and builders We get the job site measurements. We fabricate to how the house is built. It is not pre-made. It's not pre-run sitting on a shelf. It is custom. So you're getting slab pieces and you're also getting blocks. Yes. Are they coming already like pre-shaped to certain heights and widths? And so you're just picking the right block to create what you have to create? No, because let's say... We bid a job, we know the elements that we make, we know the thicknesses we need, we bring in the raw block, and they're not perfectly cut 114 wide, 60 inch tall. Um, Some of the quarries will cut it straight, some of them are just kind of jagged edges and you get that close and that's the utilizable. So we have just rows and rows of these different thicknesses, slabs and blocks, and we pull and no, we cut and carve. You know, if, if it's a 16 inch column, you know, the diameter is 16 inch, we, we cut the block and then you shape out your column. Theoretically, most of the time columns are in half. So you're using probably an eight to 10 inch thick block to get that meat out. And then they're cored because then they'll go around a post because limestone columns are not structural here in California. So you have to have the post. So they kind of just clad around the structural posts, the metal posts. Mm-hmm. And then you have the cap and base and those are tapered. We do straight. Some of the caps get intricate Corinthian carvings in there. On our Instagram, we just actually put a highlight of one. So sitting on a square base, has a little round foot, the shaft meets down into that. And that's under impression. So on Instagram, it is listed as limestone impression. And the logo is old world. It's two men holding a tile. Facebook is just impression. Our website is absolutely wonderful because I don't know how they knew back then, but our domain is limestone.com oh that's right Mm. yep i'm on it and that's awesome yeah they were on it so those are some of the things on we're just getting into marketing you know this is a family-owned business so it's not a chain you know it's not flooring outlet or anything like that this is all very specialized but the markets are changing things are changing we've always 
been steadily busy. I'll be celebrating my 28 year anniversary there in November. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a long time. That's a lot of knowledge. And just the fact that it's a family owned business that it's been passed on from generations of artisans and that knowledge that comes with that. I mean, there's so much nuance and detail. And although it was sold, it was sold to somebody who also cared that much about the product and cared that much about its history, like all of that comes through in the finished product. It does because again, we going back to old world style, we're using new technology but we're fabricating the way that it historically was done. They're solid pieces. It's not three quarter inch pieces laminated together. Um, These are solid. Everything, every piece that we fabricate is hand finished whether it's just honing and smoothing the saw marks out or we're doing antiquing and distressing, which again goes back to that custom feel. I can do a fireplace design 10 times and all 10 times it's going to be different. If it's the dimensions, the stone choice, the finish, the size, the stone itself, there's always Again, different nuances and characteristics. There's shells, there's fossils. There's, depending on the stone you choose, there's some striations in there, you know, little bands of color if you're looking for that. It's custom. It's always different. Do you do the designing as well? No, that's just one extra hat that I don't wear. You know, we get a lot of people who don't know. We deal with homeowners That's not our primary. There's an architect in Palos Verdes who, very old school and no CAD, he still hand draws his plans and makes the most incredible estates in the South Bay area. And he specifies a lot of his designs and what he wants. Then you have different architects who will draw up their set of plans. They'll kind of know what they want. The designers come in and spec designs. And it's always up to interpretation. You know, sometimes people go strictly by that. And sometimes they kind of go out on their own and want something a little bit different than what that person has in mind. And then we get homeowners who come in who don't really know. Um, I think I have 10 or 12 full-size fireplaces in our showroom of different styles. Pinterest is a blessing and a curse because a lot of people are coming in and pulling in and, you know, this is what I want. It doesn't really gel with what's happening. So you kind of redirect them or they want a Louis the 15th fireplace, but the space that they have, it needs to be eight feet wide. And that's not really what those fireplaces are made for. So then you kind of give them options. So in that part, yes, a little bit of design work, but not, I'm not a designer. I know what I like. And if you ask me, I'll tell you. Um, I like swervy curvy. I'm really not a fan of modern. We do it and we do it well. But if you ask me what I want in my home or somewhere else, I'm a little more on the traditional side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just sitting here scrolling while you're talking. (laughs) There's some really amazing, amazing work there. And I saw like the Santa Barbara Museum of Art is in there. and. Um, It looked like some cathedrals and those amazing ceilings in it. There's so much that goes into crafting this finished product for the rest of the build. Absolutely. The Santa Barbara Museum of Art was a project that we did. There's a second phase that's going to be going into that. That architect was Bob Kupiak up in Santa Barbara. 
This was an amazing project. The very first picture you see in the scroll, those steps are six inches thick. They're solid. They're solid steps. And that glass banister and railing is just on point. So we did the flooring, the stairs, we did the arch surrounds so much in that project. And again, there is another phase that's coming up that we are anxiously waiting for. That's going to be a lot of fun. That was... That was nearing completion when they called for COVID. Uh, It was a Thursday night and California was talking about shutting everything and everybody down. Yeah. And at midnight, you know, these guys had an opening. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so midnight, we got a letter saying construction is essential. So we worked the installer Patagonia Stoneworks finished it out. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've not made it myself yet up there. I was up one day and it was closed for a private event. But a couple of our other people have gone up and seen it. And it's phenomenal. And the art that they have in this museum. You know, when you think of some of these pieces, you naturally think of the Getty and and how huge the Getty is. That's what it looks like from this photograph. Yeah, there's some amazing pieces in there, I've heard. That's so impressive. And then I saw something else where it looked like cathedral ceilings, or I'm not sure because like I've gone past that. That was a recent post. And that is a groin vaulted ceiling going down. And then you see the door on the other side. So there's the columns are there and then the groin vaulted ceiling where it's curved and comes down and sits on top of the column. Um, That's a local home. Wow. So it's a pretty expansive group of customers that you work for then. It is. We get those projects that are 18, 24 months. It's interior and exterior. We do homes that are just exterior We do one-off fireplaces. We do sinks. Right now, our vessel sinks are coming back. A couple of years ago, there was a run. We did a house in Palm Desert that was featured in a magazine. And I was getting calls for the East Coast, just all over the place. Florida, Connecticut, everyone was looking for them. And it kind of died off a little bit, but now now we're doing them again. I've got a project in, in Idaho. I just shipped one out. I just ran five different orders of vessel sinks. And one of those is featured not very far down in there. Again, it's a range of clientele. The rich and famous, you know, I'm going to call us our everyday people who just really want something unique to themselves in their homes. And it's going to last basically forever. It is going to last forever. It will outlast us. Yes. And, you know, we get a lot of that. um, Oh, you cannot use limestone for a fountain, sir. (laughs) Have you been to Europe? Because it's there. We import in materials that Notre Dame was fabricated in. It's the same stone. It's going to last. So there is some education there. When you just said that, I realized that when somebody thinks limestone, they think, oh, that's going to efface quickly. Water's going to wear away at it in a different way than something as solid as marble. And so what is the difference between all of these different products and how does limestone stand up to them? I don't know all of the correct technical terms, I will say. Limestone is a calcium carbonate. Um, The big differences are the structural things that make it up. And, 
you get the different textures and finishes. Marbles will polish, and that's the silica content and the density of the stone and the water that's coursing through the mountains. You know, where travertine is quarried from, there's a lot of water, so you get holes where the water has pushed through it. So what you see, you can hold up a tile and a piece of travertine looks like Swiss cheese. So they fill that with epoxy and then they hone over it and smooth it. And eventually that's going to give. Limestones don't have that kind of water filtration. It's kind of compacted down. So you don't have those erosions through there. And people ask, why do you work in French material? There's a range of color there. We go from white to very, very dark. There's pinks in there and browns and creams and tans and beiges. And there's definitely some dense limestones that look like marbles. Depends on the region where they're from. We pull from three or four different regions in France, depending on what the projects are and, and what we're looking for. Granites, again, just kind of a different animal. I've not really gotten into that, but it's very dense. It's very common. Everyone has granite countertops. Again, I don't know the specific composites that make it completely different. Um, it's a different feel. When I went in to apply for this job, I, I did not know what limestone was, but I knew when I walked in that I liked it. You know, it's a matte finish. There are very few that will actually polish up. And again, that's a silica content. And those are the more dense stones that you see. The Cheesecake Factory in Redondo, when did that go up? In the 80s? Probably. It's been around for a long time. It's been around for a long time. So that floor is limestone flooring. The tables are limestone. So it is residential and it can also be used commercial. The key is to pick the right stone. And now I do know what's applicable there. And if you came to me and said, I really like this, I want to use this as flooring, I'm going to tell you, no, that is an architectural stone. That's not what we do, unless this is what you're looking for. So that, um, by the way, the Cheesecake Factory opened in 1988 in Redondo Beach. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so that's been around. It's lasted almost what we're looking at 40 years, and it still looks great. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting you know, never being that intimate with building something. It just is all brand new to me. And the fact that there are certain composite of stones that go on walls or for railings versus for walking on, like I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have been like, oh, that's pretty. And this is where I want it. And I would have been that client that you would have been saying, well, you know, maybe not. But let's go look at this other stone. <laughs> Maybe you can find something similar here. Yes, I have something that's similar that will do the job better. Um, we work in a stone a lot. It's um, We call it the stone of Provence. It's a soft stone and I do a ton of fireplaces. We do our exterior elements in it. It's all over. It's quarried from and it's used extensively in the Provence region of France and definitely too soft for flooring. We have a French architect that we work with who... I think it was probably a year or two after I started, we were involved in this house and it was a very Provence style house in Ritz Cove. And he did a checkerboard using this material, but that's what he was going for, a little French villa. And that stone in that area for that worked, but I've not sold it as flooring since then. With the sourcing, so you've mentioned Italy and France mostly and a little bit of Spain. Do you get to travel? To date, I have not been able to travel over there. Our previous owners were French and Italian. She was full Italian. He was French and American. 
which is how the whole business got started. And they have family there. So when they would go visit family, they would meet with the quarries. For a long time, we had a second office in France. Um, new owners asked the question, so when was the last time you went and when is the last time you saw these people? And I said I had never, and they were astonished. So uh, we're looking at going next year, and I will be going. How exciting. Yeah, I have the relationship with our suppliers because I've been there so long, and the suppliers that we use are very knowledgeable. They're almost like brokers, so to say. The quarry system, they don't own quarries. They lease quarries over there. And they're long-term leases, but nobody owns them. Those are the governments in France, especially. And so they take very good care of us because, again, we have these long-standing relationships with them. They do travel to the States. So in April, I was with three different of my suppliers coming through. Um, and depending on what's happening, they will come in and they'll visit. And we talk about upcoming projects or new stones that they kind of want to work with or present. So in our working showroom, we have flooring down, different suppliers, different styles, different finishes, different patterns, as well as the architectural elements. So yeah, I am. I'm very excited. And so all of this time and all of these different hats that you've had the opportunity to wear has really turned you into an expert. I don't want to call myself an expert, but I'm good at what I do. Yes. I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I enjoy it. Every day is different. Every project is different. The stone is organic. Just feels nice to walk into my office. I can take my dogs with me if I want. We do our own drawings. So the process is the element is selected, job site dimensions come in, we do our own shop drawings, those go out for approval, and then we start cutting and fabricating. And we lay the pieces out, we photo and send those out for approval, or if you're local and want to come in, you come in, you look at it. If we're antiquing and distressing, you have the opportunity to work with us on that to make sure it's exactly what you're looking for, and then we pack it and ship it. But there are a lot of projects, you know, the impression side of it is never on site. Idaho, Connecticut, Tennessee, North Dakota, we're not out there. So it really is teamwork with the builders, installers taking the correct measurements. It's incredible. So there's a lot of projects that you're also doing outside of California. You're doing things in other states as well. And are you also doing things in other parts of the world? think there are 52 tabletops in Nairobi that we did. Wow. (laughs) We work with a high-end furniture company, Giotti Designs in Carpentria. They do a lot of hotel work, residential lines. And we did do a house for a customer in New Zealand. So you guys have a little bit of international dabbling. Yeah, we do dabble, but it's not primary. We're concentrated just because of location, reputation, gearing up on the marketing. The majority of our business is word of mouth. So we're very concentrated in the South Bay. We're everywhere here. Then we start going down south. We're in Orange County, San Diego County, a little bit in Temecula. We get installed where we need to be installed. You know, we've got some beautiful projects in Beverly Hills, you know, Malibu, wherever we need to be. 
we're nationwide. So we have a steady client base, um, again, with the architects and builders and designers. And with that, you don't always deal with the end client. We've had some fascinating end clients, but non-disclosures, we don't really talk about them very much, but we've met some very interesting people through the years and they do come to the showroom and it's fun. Yeah, I bet. I was going to ask you, like, do you have a favorite project? I can't say that I have a favorite one because they're all my favorite. I'm involved in projects from the time you walk in the door until the final piece leaves. I can't really say that I have a favorite because they're just phenomenal. That's like picking your favorite child. (laughs) Some days it's this one and some days it's that one. It's just such a tough thing. But earlier when you were mentioning all the different stages in this process, and it just kind of drew a parallel for me between what you're doing and seeing, even though they're very different, and what I do and see when I'm working on a film project, you know, we've got a goal, a focus of where we're trying to get. And I'm working on one character, one scene, and somebody else is doing the same thing. And then we watch it go from this idea to paper to to a screen. And it's just an amazing process to see all of those steps. And I see some parallels in, you know, you've got this raw stone queried, shipped to you, turned into whatever it is, and eventually it becomes a star. Absolutely. I don't consider myself a very creative person, but the the creativity that goes through this, the choreography to get it all done, and as you say, the star, the final piece, it's amazing. It's gratifying. All the things that I really didn't know that I needed, didn't, you know, graduating from high school, this is not where I saw myself. <laughs> I did do a little bit of this with my dad when we were building custom vehicles and exporting them to Japan, which is what I was doing before I got this job. So I guess I should rephrase that I didn't think I was a creative person, but I really do like seeing the nothing of before and the final pieces that go out when it all comes together. And it's amazing. We were getting uh, empty, you know, kind of going off topic a little bit, but we were getting empty van shells from GMC and, and Chevrolet. They literally were coming in from the factory with a steering wheel and we were building those custom vans back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I remember you guys working on that. Yeah, a lot of them were exported out to Japan at that time. And it was, you know, amazing. There was nothing there. And then you had this completed rolling vehicle and a different a different industry for sure. But again, walking out into the yard and, and just seeing slabs and blocks and, you know, then going into the second warehouse and the machines and saws are going and things are happening and then you go into the other warehouse and we're in the final stages of finishing and layouts and photoing them up. It just kind of gives your heart a little thrill. You know, like one of the last steps that you 
personally handle is getting those photographs out there so that the installation can begin. And then one of the last steps of the project is you getting those photos back of where everything went. So it's definitely got a flow. Definitely has a flow. It is extremely satisfying and really makes your heart smile if the clients get to come in and see it. Having them see their dream. We also have a carver who is French. He was trained in France. And part of what they do is the restoration of all of those historical monuments over there. That's part of their formal training. So it is a hand-carved product that he does. And those elements are very exciting, very specific. And having those clients come in you know, sometimes there's some happy tears. Yeah, it's like getting a master walking into your space there. Um, you know, speaking of that, something you said reminded me that I was reading the website and it said that um, you guys also have done statues. We don't do a lot of statuary. We've done some busts. We've done some angel carvings and things going back to the five axis CNC machine in 06 and being the first one, we purchased a brand new machine last year that has the capability to do statuary. And right now, one of the test pieces we did was Michelangelo's David's head. So if you would like to see a local bust of David, you can come and visit me. It is not in marble. It is in limestone. But that speaks volumes as to where the machinery and technology has come in. But I also want to reiterate and really highlight the fact that it's still hand-finished. So a lot of people are importing from internet companies online. And the carving, there's no depth there. It's kind of cookie cutter. When you see something that's hand, truly hand finished and hand done, there's a nuance, there's a depth, there's a movement that happens that a machine can't really replicate. And so that's an important thing to know. We have the ability to do it, haven't done a lot of it to date. And again, we're client driven. So if somebody comes in and says that this is what they want, we will do that. We are working with a client right now who kept saying that he did want carvings of his wife. She said, no, that was not happening. He was looking for, he was looking for a fireplace that had, um, caryatides on the, um, the legs of the fireplace. So those are essentially the naked ladies on the legs. (laughs) And we did do a fountain 15 years ago and it was one of her baby pictures was the cherub where the water spout was. So a different kind of statuary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Oh Again, I'll, I'll invite you in to see my bust of David. I would love to see that. And of course, just come and visit you. I just realized that we've never shared with anybody during our talk that we've known each other since childhood. Yes, we have. We lived... One block. One. 
One block. And in fact, I drove down that street this morning. Did you? <laughs> I did. So I, I was actually wondering, does your mom still live there? Yes. Yep. My parents still live there. Same place where we would have all those sleepovers all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a Gemco where the Best Buy is now on Hawthorne and PCH. I think every South Bay family well, shopped there. I think and they we all did. Yes. <laughs> right. They had that record department. And when Greece with John Travolta and Olivia Newton John came out, they had this whole 1950s looking cool setup. And the actual vinyl album was there because that's what we played back in the days. Oh, and yes. I bought it. And I remember bringing it over to your house and playing it over and over and over again. And of course, I did the same thing at my house. And I I don't have that album anymore because I wore it out. Yes. <laughs> but I remember we would just go back and forth all the time to each other's homes. And there was this one time where we decided to go through the backyards and <laughs> we just thought, you know, well, you're just on the other side of these homes. You right. know, we can go through the backyards. I think we did that quite a few times until somebody got a dog. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a cool little childhood. And I'm not sure what grade we met in. Uh, I think it was junior high school, probably seventh grade, seventh, seventh grade, grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fleming, it was Fleming, you know, you've had the good fortune, you actually know quite a few of our friends a little longer than you've known me. I grew up not very far away on the other side of Crenshaw in Torrance and seventh grade, we moved And the only person I knew at Fleming was my aunt, Jennifer. I didn't know anybody. And the school was so huge compared to the little school that I went to across the street from South High. And it was very diverse. There were so many people. So terrifying. So terrifying. And I put on that facade of just being a little meanie, even though I was not. And I I remember meeting Elvitsa and Gatesa, the twins. Only I didn't know they were twins. You didn't? Oh my God, they looked exactly like each other. I know. The first day. um, (laughs) I was in class with one of them and I was standing outside looking for Jennifer. I was in the interior courtyard. And so I was standing kind of waiting and looking and one of them came up and was talking to me and I thought to myself, we were just in this classroom together. Like, what is this? And later in the day, I found out that they were twins and felt like just such a ding dong. By the way, there were also three fights that day on my first day from school. Three. And it was like a charge. They were here. They were there. They were on the field. They were by the administrative building. And again, which is why I was kind of off to the side, standing by myself going, what has happened? My parents have made a mistake. My parents have made a mistake. (laughs) This really, they, this just cannot be. You know, that was a pretty crazy school for sure. For sure. But, you know, I remember now that you mentioned Jennifer, at some point, we met in whatever class we had together or classes, we probably had a bunch and um, mm-hmm. y- you probably sat right behind me or a couple of seats behind me because they would always seat us alphabetically. And so we became friends. And then we found out that we only lived one street away from each other. And somehow we convinced our parents right. to let us walk. It was yes. what, like a mile and a half or something. I mean, it was it, it's a little bit of a walk. It's not crazy. It's-, it's a little bit of a walk. I don't, I I think it felt like a mile and a half, but you know, Lamina's not really all that It's not. Big. So maybe a mile. Um, 
But it felt like that. It did. But it was fun. We'd walk and then we'd get over to Jennifer's place and pick her up. And she was only a couple of blocks away. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we'd end up collecting friends along the way. Yes. By the time we got there, there was a crowd of like five or six of us. Yes. Which is probably why we were allowed to walk to school. Yeah. Number one, it it was different. We did do a lot of walking. My girls never walked to school or walk home. They were always chaperoned by somebody. But yeah, I mean, definitely strength in numbers. A lot of good times. Yeah, fun times. Mm -hmm. Well, also, we were like so dang young, you know. (laughs) Well, so this is really funny. Um, Well, before I hit the stop button, and then I'll tell you the rest of this. Is there anything that you wanted to add? What I would like to add, I, I guess, is, you know, number one, highlight again that everything that we do is is custom and unique, making it absolutely your own. It's done in the old world style, very classic, and it's almost a lost art. There aren't many carvers that do this by hand. It's been here for 20 something years. I've been there 28 years. I've got two guys who have been there three or four years longer than I have. And you don't find that in a lot of places. This is a really, it's a unique industry. It's kind of its own little niche and it's fascinating and fun. And it's an investment in whatever you're doing. We are into a lot of custom homes and I love it. I love everything about it. I'm extremely proud of the company. I'm extremely grateful to be involved in it as heavily as I am. And come see me. That's so awesome. I'm really dying to come and take a look at that. I I just imagine your warehouse is probably a lot like going to a beautiful gallery. There's a lot of fun pieces in there. It's always kind of in a state of, you know, we're moving things around. I had a big octagonal fountain and somebody walked through and I want a fountain like that. That's what I want. Okay. Give me two to three weeks. Give me your dimensions. No, I want that. Okay. That's what we'll make for you. No, honey, you're not understanding. I got my truck. I got my trailer. We're going back to Carmel. I want that. Oh, my God. So did they get it? Well, of course they did. I don't say no. (laughs) I don't say no. So it's always a work in progress. We're always doing some stuff, which there again makes it exciting. We've got designers come in and use our conference room, meeting their clients, and that way they can walk and talk. And it's, it's right there. It's readily available. So we do open that up as well. So you can see the stones. They can see fireplaces. They can see fountains, columns, sinks, door surrounds, whatever it is that they're looking for. Nice. Yeah, that is a beautiful fountain. Lucky, lucky person. But I know that you're going to come up with much more beautiful pieces for a long time to come, make a lot of clients very happy and beautify the world one limestone tile at a time. Or element. Absolutely. I'm very fond of saying as the tile turns. (laughs) As the tile turns. Today on this episode of As the Tile Turns... (laughs) That's awesome. And by the way, I did pull up the distance mm-hmm. because I'm such a nerd <laughs> like that. It's 1.3 miles that we used to walk. For real? Yes. Yep. I put my, my parents' address in there. You would have been maybe 1.297 miles from your place. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, really? yeah we, we did three miles a day. No wonder we were so thin. Exactly. I remember, I remember when Jenny and Tracy, when we moved into the Pines um, from where you are. So I was on one end of Lamita 
the far end and they were on the other end. Oh my gosh. Just (laughs) walking up and down Pacific Coast Highway, boombox in hand, barefoot. Barefoot. Oh my God. Hated shoes. I hated shoes. And just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and thought nothing of it. And then that was during the summer and school, I would leave and I would walk towards them up Pacific Coast Highway and then walk backwards. I need to get my walking shoes out again. We need to get our walking (laughs) shoes out. I mean, my gosh, it's funny how those things just fall away. You you know, you become an adult and we live in Los Angeles and it's just kind of a way of life because nothing is very close. You know, we don't have a lot of walking cities. No. Now that we're talking about it, I'm definitely going to add a whole lot more of it into my activities. That was so much fun catching up with Michelle and learning about this fascinating industry that she works in that's just full of beauty and luxury and just a lot of information that I was never aware of. I'm really looking forward to going to her showroom and checking out the bust of the David as well as all of those other beautiful products that she has in there. So if you are interested in learning more about limestone impressions, please check out the show notes. I have links up. Please also keep sending in your questions and comments. I read all of them. And if you have a fun, amazing or inspiring story or just a story that you want to share, drop me a line. I'd love to hear it. The world needs more amazing stories. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, a little luxury, a lot of fun, elegance, and beauty. 